Thank you, brother. Good job tonight, as always. I love praising Jesus. How about you? <clears throat> He's worthy of our praise. <clears throat> I love praising him if we're using the um, contemporary worship that we sometimes use. As long as we're praising Jesus, I'm good with it. I love praising Jesus when we're singing hymn songs. As long as we're praising Jesus, I'm good with it. He's worthy of our praise, and I enjoy praising him. I think a lot of times what happens is we get used to the songs we sing and becomes more of just reading words off a page or off a screen, whatever the case may be, instead of actually singing them unto the Lord. And how many know that's what worship is all about? Worship is, an, is to an audience of one. It's not you singing for someone else or... Um, with someone else, it's you singing to the Lord. And so when we get so used to singing things over and over again, I think a lot of times it just becomes repetition and we get in a rut of just reading it off a page instead of really singing unto the Lord and praising Him for who He is and for what He's done. And when you really just start taking a look at the words of these songs, that's what's so powerful in it. And I love that part in that song, It Is Well With My Soul, where it it says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Now, listen how he puts this. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Now, we've been talking a lot in our D-group meetings on Sunday night here, here lately about um, what it means to be justified. And I've told you what I heard E.V. Hill say once upon a time, that to be justified means that once you've trusted in Jesus, it's just as if you'd never sinned. <laughs> That's what justified is. Or just as if I'd never sinned. And so when the songwriter says that he's forgiven our sin not in part, not some of it, not most of it, not a lot of it. He's forgiven our sin in the whole. We are justified by faith in Christ. Why? Because when we place our faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed on our behalf. The Bible says, blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute sin but the Bible also says that by faith, the righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us. And so when we trust in Jesus, listen, we are considered made righteous, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he's done for us. And so because of that, it can be well with my soul, folks. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what today holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. I don't know any of that. But I do know this. My sin's been forgiven. I do know this. I've been born again in the family of God. I know I've got a home in heaven. And so everything else is just the cherry on top. <laughs> if God never does one more thing for me or you as a believer, we have enough now to praise him throughout all eternity. Why? Because it's well with my soul. My sin's been forgiven. Wow. How powerful that truly is. Take your Bibles. Turn with me tonight to the book of Colossians chapter number 2. We're starting a brand new chapter in the book of Colossians this evening, chapter number 2. And um, we'll be starting there in the first verse. And I'm just going to read for you through verse number 7. Then we'll come back and look at three or four points that I want us to see this evening if we have time. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Everybody say in love. Yeah. 
he says, And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding and the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. I love verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many of you uh, realize that you need some good godly wisdom and knowledge? How many of you want some good godly wisdom and knowledge? <laughs> well, I hope you do. If you do, it's found, the Bible says, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built it up in Him. Everybody say, in Him. Now, how many of you understand that salvation is not in a plan, but salvation is in a man? You are saved, listen to me, by the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have faith in faith. Salvation comes from faith in Christ. And so he says, in him we are to walk. It's in Christ that we're to be rooted, rooted and built up. Then he says, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. I'm so thankful this evening for what you've given me in my time of preparation. I'm thankful, Lord, that you've spoken to my heart. Now I'm asking that as you was with me in my time of preparation, that you be with me in this time of presentation, that you speak to me, that you speak through me. Lord, there's absolutely nothing I can do effective in my own power. Lord, I don't want to go through the motions tonight. I don't want to come and just have a good meeting tonight. I want to come and hear from heaven tonight. Lord, what we need above everything else is a fresh anointing, a fresh touch. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to have your way and your will in these services. We long for your manifest presence among your people. And I'm asking now in Jesus' name that you make clear to us what your word is saying to each and every heart and life. In Jesus' name, we do pray and for your sake. Amen. Now, there's three things that I really want you to see this evening in these first seven verses. First of all, I want you to see the conflict of the Apostle Paul. That's what we'll call it in verse number one. Look how he puts it. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at, that are at Laodicea. Now that word conflict in the Greek um, is, the, is, is the same word that we get our word agony from. Now you know what agony is or what to agonize about something is all about. To be in agony is to be in extreme mental or physical suffering. And so the Apostle Paul said, I am in agony for you. I have, an extreme mental and, I have extreme mental and physical suffering because of what's going on in your church. Now for us to get a hold of that, we've got to know a little bit of the background of what's happened for the church at Colossae. Now if you remember, when Paul wrote uh, this letter, this is called the prison epistle. So what did we say? Why, why is it called the prison epistle or the prison letter, church? What did we say? That, what, what's the reason for that? Well, he was in prison when he wrote it. At the time when he writes to the church at Colossae, he's now in a Roman prison cell because he's doing nothing more than what God has called him to do, which is to preach the gospel. He's not in prison because he stole something. He's not in prison because he killed somebody. He's in prison simply because he's doing what God has called him to do. But you know what, Brother Paul knew it's well with his soul too. He just kept on preaching. He just kept on teaching. He just kept on loving. He just kept on, listen to me now, establishing others in the faith. 
faith, and that's what we're going to see tonight. He keeps on about the ministry that God has called him to do in the midst of some great suffering and great persecution. So Paul is in Rome. Now what happens? If you remember, according to Colossians 1, verse number 8, the pastor of the church at Colossae, a man by the name of Epaphras, went to the apostle Paul in, in concern for the church. And he talks to, to Paul about some of the things that were taking place in the church at Colossae. Now, one of the things that was taking place there, and we're going to deal with it more as we go on through this book, is that they were full of these Gnostic people. Now, we know what the Gnostic people believe. The, 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 the word gnosis means to know. And so these Gnostic people thought they were in the know. They thought they had it all figured out as far as spiritual things go. As a matter of fact, they thought themselves to be on a different spiritual plane than everybody else. They were way up here, and everybody else was way down there. Now, the only problem with that is that the gospel these Gnostic people were teaching uh, was a gospel that was not centered in the Lord Jesus. Now, how many of you understand any message that is not centered in the Lord Jesus is not the gospel? Any message that is not centered in Jesus, listen, is not the truth. Any message that is not centered in Jesus is a false message that leads to a false doctrine. And so the Apostle Paul writes back and he says, I'm in agony for you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in great conflict for you. He said in verse number 29 of, of chapter number 1, he says, I'm laboring for you. Now let me tell you what I think he means by that. He realized the danger that that church was in in Colossae. And folks, it's the same danger that every New Testament, blood-bought, born-again Baptist church is in today. We have the same danger. We too can be in the danger of falling into a false doctrine, a false message. And so Paul is telling them and he's telling us, listen, you've got to know what you believe, you've got to know why you believe it, and you've got to be rooted and grounded in Christ. He's got to be everything. Listen, it's all about Jesus or it's nothing. That's why we always say, we're going to make it all about Jesus and every plan and every program and every prayer and every message preached and every lesson taught and every song sang, we're going to center that around the Lord Jesus Christ. For if we don't, folks, it means nothing. And so he says there's a great danger that you're falling into a false doctrine. He said, I'm agonizing because of that, and I'm laboring on your behalf. Now, how is Paul laboring all the way in Rome for the church in Colossae? I'll tell you how. He's laboring in prayer. He says that on the heels of the prayer that we studied for two weeks in, in Colossians chapter 1. Really what he's saying is, I'm, I'm in agony and I'm laboring in prayer for the, for, for, for the, the, the believers there in Laodicea and in Colossae, where Epaphras is from. Now, how many of you know powerful prayer is work? Prayer is a discipline. Can you say amen? Amen. And I want you to understand, Paul says, this is so troubling me in my spirit that I just got to bring it before the Lord. Now, we must ask ourselves as believers, I want you to think about this. When is the last time you were so troubled about a situation, a specific situation, or a specific person that you, you had to just bring it before the Lord? You agonized over it. There was great conflict deep down in your soul over something or someone. 
And you just had to say, Lord, I've got to bring this to you and put it at your feet. Folks, we need all of that we can get. E.M. Bounds says nothing worthwhile in the kingdom of God has ever been done without prayer. And so if you want to see a move of God like never before, ask Him for it. If you want to see God save your loved ones, ask Him to save your loved ones. If you want to see God work in a certain situation, a specific circumstance in your life, pray about that thing. Because I believe, I know, according to the absolute truth of the Word of God, when we pray as the people of God, the power of God is released upon our situation. And so Paul was in great conflict. He was in agony and he was laboring in prayer for this church. Folks, I can tell you something. In my own personal life, I can honestly say that I have labored in prayer for Mount Zion Baptist Church. I can honestly say there's been great conflict in my soul for Mount Zion Baptist Church. And I've labored in prayer. Let me tell you why. Because I want to make sure we lift Jesus up. The scripture says it like this, that if we lift him up, he'll draw all men unto himself. You say, well, brothers, that was in that day. Folks, listen, when we lift him up today, he still draws all men unto himself. I want to make sure that everything we do is for him, that he receives all honor and all glory. How do you know? Because he deserves it. Like I said before, I want to make sure that every message that's preached, every lesson that's taught, every song that's sang, every prayer that's prayed, every program we have, everything we do points others to Jesus. Because that's what makes all the difference. And listen, that's what changes lives. So would you join with me in laboring, in prayer for our church that we make it all about Jesus. That we lift him up in any and every way possible. That we hold true to the absolute truth of the Word of God. That we stick with the stuff. That we keep the main thing the main thing. Dr. Kevin Merritt, one of my mentors, a man that I dearly love, it's what he always used to say. He'd say, brother, stick with the stuff. Stick with the stuff. You stick with the Word of God. You keep giving the Word of God. Because when you give the Word of God, he, he, he told me, he said, listen, it will always do what it's set out to, a, to, to do. It's, it's never going to fail. He's right. I've seen that to be true in my life. Seen that to be true at our church. So we want to make sure that everything that happens right here in this body of believers is honoring and glorifying the Lord Jesus. Now, I want it for you, on your behalf. It's beneficial for you if all of that is true. But let me give you some selfish personal reasons why I want that to be true. Because I know as your pastor that I'm going to one day be held accountable for everything that happens in this place. Whether it be good or whether it be bad. One day I'm going to stand before the Lord as pastor of Mount Zion. I'm going to give an account for what's happened here. So I'm praying that God stirs our heart. I'm laboring in prayer that God stirs our heart to lift him up in everything that we do. I can honestly say that I've labored in prayer over my marriage. Amen. If you hadn't labored in prayer over yours, you ought to. Let me tell you why. It's important. I want my marriage to be a shining light 
I want my marriage to be the example that it's supposed to be. I want my marriage to be a picture of the love that Christ has for the church and the church has for Christ. I can honestly say that I've labored in prayer for my kids because I love them. And I want them not to just know about Jesus. How about you? See, there's a lot of things we can do for our kids, but we can't give them our faith. How many of you understand that God doesn't have any stepchildren? That's not the way it works. I can't give Anakate my faith or gauge my faith. Now, I can show them my faith is real. I can do that. I can be a light in front of them. I I hope and pray that they want what I have with the Lord. But folks, as far as me giving them my faith, I can't do that. They have to have their own faith in Christ. So I pray they don't just know about Jesus, but they experience Jesus. That he truly changes them. On the inside makes a difference on the outside. That he puts with them a new heart by his power. And so what have you labored in prayer over? What have you agonized over that you just got to bring and lay at the feet of Jesus? Have you done that in a while? I hope so. Paul said, I've got this conflict for you. I'm agonizing over you. We ought to do the same thing. Not only do I want you to see the conflict of Paul, but I also want you to see the comfort of the body of Christ. Look in uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 2. For their hearts, watch what he says. I'm praying for Colossae and for Laodicea that their hearts might be comforted. He he tells us how the hearts are going to be comforted. He he gives us three statements. First of all, he says that they be comforted, how? By being knit together in love. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, I would always go up and stay with my grandma. I was a mama's boy. I loved her and she loved me. <laughs> we got along good. I'd go up to mama's house and she always watched Matlock. She loved Matlock and I loved Matlock. And so we'd sit up there and watch Matlock together. And the whole time she'd be watching Matlock, I'd be playing in the floor, um, she would have them crocheting needles out and knitting together an afghan or a hat or socks or Something. She was always playing with those crocheting needles, knitting something together. And she made what everybody saw in everybody's mama's house, the afghan that went across the back of the couch. Now hers was green and yellow, right? Some of yours might have been green and yellow. I've either seen the green and yellow afghan or the purple and pink afghan in all mama's houses. I don't know, there must have been a sale on green and yellow yarn or purple and pink yarn, but there was always those colors crocheted together on the back of a couch somewhere. Now, let me tell you what she'd do. All she was really doing was just tying that string in knots. Now, it turned out to be a, um, a, a beautiful piece that she had made there and worked very hard on, but that's really all you do when you're knitting something. You're tying it together all up in a knot. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, I believe you could have took that old afghan that my mama had made that she had knit together, and I think you could have pulled a Peterbilt truck out of the ditch with it. I really do. That sucker was stout, man. I know it was stout because many times me and my brothers had a tug-of-war in the middle of the living room floor at her house with the afghan that she had made. We never tore it up. Couldn't tear that thing up. It was knit together. It was strong. It was sturdy. It was tied up all in those knots. Now, the picture I think Paul is painting for the church is that for our hearts to be comforted, amen, we 
have to be knit together in love. And it's very important that we are knit together in love because we have an enemy that's going to try to tear us apart. Do you hear me? He was trying at the church at Colossae. There was a lot of false doctrine that was being brought into the church. There's a lot of things that happening that God wouldn't please with. That's why Epaphras went to Rome when he did. And so God, he, the, the, Satan, the enemy, was doing things in the church to tear down what God was doing. Now, I've heard some horror stories about how churches have been torn apart. How about you? Been a part of one or two of them when I was a kid. I've actually heard of churches breaking fellowship, splitting because of color of carpet. Do you realize that? I'm talking about blood-bought, born-again believers who say they have the love of Christ dwelling on the inside of them, but they break fellowship over something stupid and something silly and something selfish like the color of carpet. I've heard of churches splitting over not getting the lights they want in the fellowship hall. That's a true story. Split up over it. Broke fellowship over something stupid and silly and selfish and don't make a hill of beans. Matter of fact, not a few, just a few years ago, I certainly don't want to name names, but right here within this county, there was a church that had to call the deputy sheriff to their church on a Wednesday night for a business meeting so people wouldn't get in a fight in the church during the business meeting over something stupid and selfish and silly. Now, how many of you understand that is not at all what God's Word says the church ought to be? Paul says you ought to be Knit together in love. And when you are knit together in love, ain't nothing stupid or silly or selfish going to tear you apart. So guess what? I think that's a good word for us. Let me tell you why. Because we're in the midst of a building program. Now let's not let something stupid or silly or selfish cause us to break fellowship with one another. The color carpet just ain't worth it. Lights ain't worth it. Folks, listen to me. Love one another. We're going to see in a minute that these four walls and this roof is not the church anyway. All of this stuff will one day pass away. It's passing away before our eyes even today. And so Paul says... You be knit together in love because the enemy's always going to try to tear apart and tear down what God is doing. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Now, how do we do that? Well, Jesus told us. Go back to John with me, John chapter 13. Watch this. One of my absolute favorite verses, John 13, verse number 35. Very powerful. Let's just start with verse number 34. Jesus, about to go back to his heavenly Father, he's about to go to the cross. And he speaks to his disciples and says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So he, what's he saying? Folks, a commandment is not a suggestion. He says, I'm giving you a commandment. I'm telling you to do something. Now, if you're commanded to do something by your master, by your king, 
then whether you feel like it or not, you better do it. Now, how do you know Jesus is our master? Jesus is our king. Yes, he sees us as friends, but we do serve him. Amen. And so, listen, there's going to be times that you don't feel like loving people. We didn't ask you if you felt like it. He said, love them. There's going to be times when you don't want to love people. But it's not a suggestion. He said, love them. Listen, and we love them by extending the same grace to them that's been extended to us. You say, well, brother, you just don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they've treated me. Have they put nails in your wrist and hung you on a cross? Have they beat you with a cat of nine tails? Have they taken a crown of thorns and shoved it down upon your head? Have they shoved a spear in your side? Have they done any of that? You say, well, brother, what's that got to do with us? Well, I got everything to do with us. Because guess what? It's because of us that that happened to Jesus. It's because of us that he took the punishment for our sin. We had just as much to do with what happened at the cross as the soldiers who drove the spikes. But that same Jesus looked down from the cross at the very men that had just drove the spikes and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, if the same love is supposed to dwell in my heart and in your heart as believers, that means you love them whether you feel like it or not, whether they've done you wrong or not, whether they said something mean or not. It's not a suggestion, folks. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. But you better love them. Truth is, we're all knuckleheads from time to time. You know, sometimes I preach to knuckleheads. You know, sometimes I am the knucklehead. And all knuckleheads need loving. So love them. Love me. And I'm going to love you. We're going to fulfill the will of God. We're going to do what? The Lord commanded us to do. He says in verse 35, this is big. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you're a member of a church. Is that what it said? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you come to Sunday school and get your 10 year pen. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you tithe every week. Now, let me ask you something, folks. Is there anything wrong with getting a 10 year pen? No, I hope you do. Praise God if you do. That's a good thing. Anything wrong with tithing every week? No. Anything wrong with being a member of church? Absolutely not. All that's good stuff. But none of that is evidence that you're a disciple of Christ. He says what, what really seals the deal, what really tells people you are who you claim to be, is how you love one another. Amen. How you love one another. You know what I'm convinced of? A lost world is looking for people who will love them. They're not looking for backbiting, fighting, arguing that you see in so many churches. God forbid that it be here. They're not looking for any of that. Let me tell you why. Because they got all that out there. They're not looking for the super spiritual saint that sits up on the high horse and looks down their nose at everybody else. They ain't looking at none of that. 
They're looking for somebody that will show them love. That's what we're here for. And we show them the love of Christ by how we treat one another. And and that what this is saying? By the love you have one to another. All other men are going to know you, my disciples. Wow. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, As you have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men. And he goes on a step further. Oh, he says, now what does it mean to do good? Well, that's love in action. How many of you know love is a verb? It can be a noun, but it's a verb. We don't just say we love, we show we love. We don't just love in attitude, we love in action. Listen, we don't just give lip service, we don't just love with our lips, we love with our lives. And so he says, as you have therefore opportunity to do good to all men, everybody you come in contact with, I'm talking about black people, white people, purple people, yellow people, Chinese people, African people, Mexican people. I don't care who they are. You love them. Do good to them. Go the extra mile for them. Amen? But then he goes a step further. He said, especially to those of the household of faith. Especially to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me show what that looks like. Go to the book of 1 John. Watch this. 1 John chapter 3. Verse number 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So we see there in verse 15 the standard of God and how high it is. He said, God, his standard of righteousness is so high. He says, if you have hatred in your heart, it's just like murdering someone. If you're walking in hatred, it's just like being a murderer. I mean, no, none of us in our own power can reach that standard. standard. That's why we need grace. And so he says in verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We have to lay down our lives for our brethren. Let me tell you the test of truly growing in the Lord, of truly being a sold out follower of Christ. It's not how much you raise your hands in church. It's if you're willing to lay down your life for the brethren. Are you getting me? Anything wrong with raising your hands in church? No, but you better be willing to lay down your life for the brethren. There's more to it than just an outward showing of faith in Christ. It's about an inward change that, listen to me now, is expressed to others and how we treat them day by day. How we interact with them. How we love them. Verse 17. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shut up of his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I went and preached a revival service one time. Never had been to the church before in my life. One of their members had come to our church when I was down at Union Chapel. And, and um, she went home and, uh, and talked to her pastor. And, and the pastor asked me to come and preach revival. So I get over there, man, preach a week's worth of revival. Thursday night of the revival, start on Monday, was going through Friday. Thursday night of the revival, I preached on 1 John 3.15 and what it means to love like Jesus loves. To love our brother. I got done with the service and the pastor came to the back. He was just bawling. I'm talking about the Lord who got a hold of this brother. And he said, I got to talk to you after service. I said, why? He said, man, you ain't going to, I just got to talk to you after service. I said, all right. So I stayed after service. We go back in the study. He said, you'll never believe what happened 
just this past week. He had a parsonage there at the church. While he was there at the parsonage, just that week, his um, heating and cooling unit had went out. And this is the middle of summertime. I'm talking about hot. You know how it is, hot in Alabama in the summertime, humid. His, his uh, air conditioner had been out since that Saturday night before revival. His deacons met with him on Sunday morning. And they, went, they, they voted in the deacon meeting not to fix the air conditioner in the parsonage, even though they had about $20,000 in the church fund. He said, brother, I don't know if you know it or not, but God used you tonight. He said, because what I've seen in scriptures, you can't say you love somebody if you, uh, if you withhold what that person needs and you have, you have the means to give it to them. Isn't that the truth? You reach out to your brothers and sisters, man. Well, if they take advantage of you, that's going to happen from time to time. You know what? That's between them and the Lord. I'm not saying you don't be wise. You be wise. Jesus said that, um, that we are to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. Exercise some wisdom, yes. Walk in the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to lead you. But I'm going to tell you, we love people in action. Not just by what we say, but by what we do. So he said, we're to be knit together in love. If you believe it, say amen. How else do we comfort our hearts? He says another thing. He says, full assurance of understanding. This word, full assurance, it's a very interesting expression. Let me tell you what it means. It actually means, it literally means to be under full sail. Now, I don't know much about a sailboat. Never even been on a sailboat. Seen a few of them. But it stands to reason that if you're out on a sailboat and, you're, and you've got a full sail of wind, you're going to go further and get there faster than you would if you had a half sail or a quarter sail. Does that make sense to you? If you got a full sail, you're going to get on down the water. <laughs> you'll get further and you'll get there faster. So what I think Paul is saying here is that we need to be progressing in our walk with the Lord. We need to be progressing in our individual ministry. Amen. 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 Now there's a great danger with our church, with the church at Colossae, with every church. Let me tell you what the great danger is. Is that we come in on Sunday and we enjoy the service and God does the work, but we're not changed from Sunday to Monday. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Listen to me. I love corporate worship. Hey, we come in here on Sunday morning, man. We're in the place of God with the people of God, in the presence of God, in the precious Word of God. And all of that happens right here in this sanctuary, this place that's set aside for the worship of the Lord. I'm telling you something, that strengthens me. That blesses my heart. That's a little bit of heaven on earth. I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> Enjoy it. I look forward to it. I need it. i got to have it. I'm hooked on it. I love that. But now let me say this. If what we do on Monday morning does not match what we've preached about, sung about, and prayed about, and learned about in Sunday school on Sunday morning, then what we've done on Sunday morning has not made any difference whatsoever. 
Let me tell you Sunday that when you get a hold of the Word of God, you got to do two things. First, you go, you got to hear it. To hear the Word of God is to acknowledge that it is truth. You listen to it. You open up your ear to what God has to say. It's the acknowledgement of truth. But then you also got to heed it. And to heed it is to apply that truth to your life. Now, if we're going to live life under a full sail, guess what we've got to do? We've got to hear the Word of God. We've got to acknowledge it as true. And then we've got to heed the Word of God. We've got to apply it to our lives. So that what we do on Monday morning is a direct reflection of what we've learned on Sunday morning. And what we do on Thursday night is a direct reflection of what we've been talking about on Wednesday night. As I start taking this truth and applying it to my heart and life. You know, I've come to find out God give me a message, man, on loving people. He'll give me opportunity sometime this week to love somebody. You ever, you ever had that happen? You be in church on Sunday, man, God get a hold of you about something, and the very next day or the day after, sometime that week, God will put that certain situation right in your path. You think, wow, why is that? He wants you to start applying these truths to your life. Getting on down the water. Dr. Rogers said it like this. He said he was talking to one of his charismatic buddies one day, and he said, brother, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm all for getting excited in a church service. Dr. Rogers said, the only thing you need to understand is this. God didn't give you that steam to sit around this toot you whistle. God gave you that steam to get on down the track. And he's right. I'm all for coming in here, man, and enjoying the presence of God and the people of God, this corporate worship that we have. But listen, it needs to change our hearts and lives as we leave this place. It's more than just a pep rally. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for a pep rally. I love a good pep rally. But if you don't go out on the field and play the game, guess what? The pep rally didn't mean nothing. The game's not in here, it's out there. So yeah, man, we want to glean from the Word of God and be encouraged by the Word of God and encourage one another and be encouraged by one another. And we won't get a hold of all of that, but we take that to go out there. That's why I love Wednesday night so much, man. Right in the middle of a tough week, being in a dark world, you get to come in here and get a hold of truth with your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Why is there so many empty pews? Man, you get a hold of what God has for you, it changes everything. So we need to see the full assurance of understanding and then he gives us something else, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? We talked a little bit about this last week. The mystery of God is the church. It's the church. How many know on the day of Pentecost, a new thing took place? God began calling Gentiles. <laughs> Praise God. By his power, God saved Gentile peoples to be a part of his body. Well, praise the Lord for that. The grace of God is available to everybody since the day of Pentecost. Isn't that good? It's good for me and you. Now, the church was born right there that day. Now, we need to realize, listen to me, folks. The church is the body of the Lord Jesus. While Jesus walked upon this earth, he had a physical body, just like mine and yours. He walked in the flesh. 
He lived as a man so that he might go to a cross and die for men. He had a physical body while he walked upon this earth. But when he went back to his heavenly father, listen, he needed a body here on this earth. And he's got one in the church. He's got a, he had a physical body while he was here. Now that he is in heaven, he's got a spiritual body upon this earth. Listen to me now. That by the power of God causes the will of God to come to pass physically in this earth. Does that make sense to you? We have now become the body of Jesus, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 12, brother, put that up for us. We've, we are many members in one body, all been baptized by one spirit. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Everybody say one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. Isn't that awesome? So now... We are a part of the body of Christ. So what am I trying to tell you? If you're going to get a hold of the acknowledgement of the mystery, you need to get a hold of this. You don't come to church, you are the church. And I think what Paul was saying to the church at Colossae, he's saying to us, don't fall into the trap of you believing you come to church. You need to know you are the church, you are the body. Get a hold of this mystery. And what the head wants, the body is supposed to do. My many members, whether it be my hands or my feet or my legs or my eyes or my ears, they all, listen, do what the head tells them to do. If I'm going to fulfill my purpose, whatever that might be. Same is true for us. We are all many members. Jesus is the head. We fulfill His purpose when we are in one accord. Doing what the head wants. Amen. Not uniformity. Unity. He's not after uniformity. He's about us being unified in purpose. I don't have to look like you. You don't have to look like me. You've got different talents and abilities than I've got. You've got different gifts than I've got. I've got different gifts than you've got. I can't do what you can do. You can't do what I can do. But together we can do great things. Does it make sense? Working together, unified in purpose, spreading this gospel across the street and around the world, living out our faith day by day, progressing in our walk with Christ, living under a full sail. If you got it, say I got it. Now watch. Watch this. He says then, starting in verse number 3 and 4. What time we got? Anybody got time? Oh, man. Wow. All right. So tonight we saw the conflict of the Apostle Paul. We saw the comfort of the church. Now, next week we'll look at the compulsion, this compelling argument that the Apostle Paul makes to the church. And it starts in verse um, number four. 
Let me just read 4 through 7 and I'm going to close and we'll look at it next week. He says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you or fool you with enticing words. Listen, this, this is a very compelling argument. He's urging them on towards something. He says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted, watch this now, and built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Paul is, just to give you a little snippet from, for next week, Paul is making the argument here. If you'll get rooted, grounded, built up in Jesus, established in the faith. When people try to fool you with fancy words, you're going to know the real thing. You'll know the difference. He's worried about this church. He said, I don't want you falling into some wrong things. I'm going to be honest. I don't want us falling into some wrong things. If we're going to stick with the stuff, keep the main thing the main thing, we need to listen to this argument that Paul makes, and we'll look at it next Wednesday night. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions? Proquest. Amen. Any other than spoken this evening? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Man, that's awesome. Good deal. Great. Yeah, we'll pray for it. Anyone else? I have it. Okay. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Remember that. We'll be leaving for Nicaragua uh, June the 29th, so um, keep that in your prayers continually. Pray that God softens the heart of the people and God softens our heart. Pray for protection. Um, there is some uh, social unrest, I guess you'd say, in uh, Nicaragua right now, but um, we're trusting the Lord. So pray for us as we go. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Anyone else? Man, which Teresa Harris are you talking about? Really? Wow. She okay or do you, you don't know? My goodness. All right. My goodness. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Anyone else? Pray for our services Sunday. Um, remember, Sunday morning, we're having a special service. We'll be um, honoring our kids who have graduated this time. Uh, that'll be done Sunday morning during our Sunday morning service. Then directly following Sunday morning service, we'll have a meal downstairs. And uh, we're just going to do some uh, what I call wedding food. You know, yeah. Any kind of thing that you might see at a wedding. I love wedding food, so bring that. All right. Um, anything else? Even the cake, if you want. I love the cake. Um, bring somebody back with you Sunday. I know every one of y'all knows somebody that needs to be in church, don't you? 
somebody you work with, the guy down at the grocery store, guy at the gas station. You know somebody in your family, your friends, whoever, that you know need to be in the house of God Sunday. Invite them. Call them up this week. Hey, but let me tell you what to do. Let's, let's test this thing out. We talked about praying tonight. We talked about, hey, we, when we pray, God releases um, his power upon that situation. I want you to pray for them tonight, whoever that person is, whoever you're thinking about right now. Pray hard. Pray that God does a work in their heart. Then you call them up one day this week and you say, you know what? I want you to come to church with me Sunday. Bring them. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. Church don't save you, but church is a great place to get saved. Great place to get saved. So invite somebody to come with you. Anyone else? All right. If not, Miss Agnes Wilson, dismiss us, please. Yes. 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 Yes.